The business of culture, the culture of business, media and technology, creatives, newsmakers, investors, cuisine. Full disclosure, we are live at the University of Richmond with Chef Sonny Baveja. To invest like 1.4 million during the session in a restaurant was not a fun game. Where Indian restaurant used to easily be open for $300,000 those days in a location where your rent can be crazy high. So it was definitely a passion project. I don't want to cut corners. I want to be the best, have one of the amazing wine cellars and all those things. Here with how a kid from humble Punjabi beginnings parlayed adversity in his childhood into Indian theme park stardom. Next thing you know, he's opening a restaurant during the financial crisis. Fast forward, he's snagging two recognitions from the Beard Foundation. That's right, Sandeep Sani Baveja, chef and founder of Leheja. And we're gonna call this one, wait for it, wait for it. Oh yeah, do stay with us. This special taping of Full Disclosure Live was made possible by the generous support of the Robbins School of Business at the University of Richmond. The Robbins School prepares students to make an impact by providing a dynamic learning community where real-world teaching practices, scholarship, and service are at the forefront of the curriculum. More at robbins.richmond.edu. And by Salomon and Ludwin, a boutique wealth management firm dedicated to helping families make smart financial decisions. You worked hard and sacrificed to create and build wealth. They treat advice given to you with the respect your journey deserves. For over 30 years, Salomon and Ludwin has earned a reputation of trust and confidence. Recognized by Barron's as a Hall of Fame advisor. More at SalomonLudwin.com. Full Disclosure Podcast to NPR, Spotify, all fine podcatchers, including and especially Apple Podcasts. The link, please subscribe and call your girlfriend, is fulldradio.com. Again, fulldradio.com. A shout out to our listeners on NPR member station, WVTF, Radio IQ, Virginia's NPR news source. You can catch us on all the social handles at Full D Radio. And definitely follow what we're doing because we have some huge shows coming up, including Steve Inskeep, right here in October, NPR Morning Edition host and author. We have MSNBC President Rashida Jones in November and a big one at Maudlin in December, Secretary Pete Buttigieg. Do follow on all our socials at Full D Radio. Joining us on stage from the University of Richmond's Robbins School of Business, Full Disclosure is back here with Chef Sunny Baveja, the James Beard two-time Best Chef Mid-Atlantic finalist. He has Leheja. He's been in every publication, mentioned in Forbes, in the Washington Post, the New York Times. Investors are pounding down his door. As you know, he's one of the only reasons truly to visit Short Pump. I mean, there's an Apple store <laughs> and a Trader Joe's. Welcome, Chef. I got to ask you, this is... Um, I could start this in a million ways, and in, in, in some ways you have kind of amortized this story because anyone who's been to your restaurant knows that you love to tell stories about dishes, and they know you tableside. That is true, and that's very me. I think to me, food is not just putting the plate in front of you. It is all about experience. Like if I've been at your home and you feed me, I will eat it but I will probably never go back if there's no full experience. So to me, the restaurant is the same way. And I look into, in a way, that 
when you come into not only my restaurant, if we go to any place, if the food is great, that has to be the base. But your service has to be friendly and at the same time professional. But you need to tell, you need to connect with people. And that's to me connecting with the community because most of my guests, they are like friends and family now. And uh, I think that drives you when you see the smile on their faces after eating food. That, that's something else. That's, you can't tell in word, you can't describe those things. And that's to me is the real success of having a restaurant, which makes me happy. Like monetary part is completely different. But I think that emotional, that mental aspect of it is more important. Chef, it was not at all preordained that you were gonna have this culinary career. I want to take you back to your childhood in India. As you told me, you have parents who are very invested in your education, as Iranian parents are, and you tried to go on a specific route and you thought maybe, what was it, medical school or something else was in the offing and then something happened in your teens. You know, let me tell you one basic thing. Being a child, Every Indian, they wake up in the morning is their mom gave them bad tea. You didn't even open your eyes. You are in the bed. Not just if there's any Indian sitting in this, they will, they will correlate to it what I'm saying. It's like having coffee in your bed when your eyes not even open. It's, if anyone said in India they haven't done it, they're lying. They're trying to look nice. They're pretending to be cool. They're like, so you grew up in this culture in India that you are sleeping and your moms are bringing your bed tea, which is chai. So you have it. And sometimes my mom's, she's amazing and she's super busy. She tell me to make a cup of chai. I don't know how to make it. It's like somebody tell you to brew up coffee and you, you are looking what to do. I don't know. I'm lost. I was one of those kids. And my thing was that, okay, I can even mop the house as long as you cook my favorite dishes. So on Sundays, like I can mop the house, I can do something, but cook my favorite dishes, like certain of my favorite dishes, which takes longer, like six hour, eight hour prep in Punjabi culture. I was like, I will do this and do that. And in terms of education, I had no choice because we were living in country. Uh, you were a country boy. Mm -hmm. Very country boy, to the point that if it rains, we'd be playing soccer outside on the flooded fields. That's country boy. My bedroom windows opening to corn, rice, sugar canes. That's like if I have to have corn, I can literally go to my roof and get it. Sugar cane. So when I, when I came to the U.S., actually, one funny thing is when we talk about farm to table was a big thing. And to me, I was like, shoot, I lived in this. <laughs> Imagine, like, I can't understand. I mean, that's to me. Hold up. You, you told me that uh, a, a critical thing happened uh, when you were 14 and went on a school field trip to the Taj Mahal. Oh, shoot. And so was... there's this luxury. So th that's like some of us can go to the Jefferson and have tea service. But you and your classmates, you said something like a dozen classmates so... were accidentally served what? Okay, it was funny. We were on a school trip and they took us to Delhi. And... I'm always fond of traveling and eating since childhood. We went to Delhi and that was my very first trip with our school and our public schools used to have limited budgets. And I have never seen scallops in my life. Scallops? Mm -hmm. And I still remember the guy who served us, he said scallop, the way an Indian accent was. And I didn't know what this thing is. And because of our teachers, we literally ordered chai 
and samosas and a couple other things which fits in our budget because Taj is almost like four seasons of, it's like India in that way. The Taj Resort, the hotel. Yeah, Taj Resorts. And they want us to have an experience at that level, but the budget was an issue. So this guy comes in, he puts scallops in front of, right in front of me. And as a child, I see only four pieces and there are 15 other kids around you. I just grab one <laughs> before even I come to know what it is. And I was like, wow, this is such a good thing. I have never eaten anything like this in my so life. So when someone said seafood, what is your understanding of seafood from the rural Punjabi? Fish. As a Punjab, like, see, those days, means of transportation was not that great. In Punjab, seafood means fish. And fish also, not from the ocean, not from the sea, because we were way too far from the ocean. It's in the foothills of Himalayas. So fish also, river fish, which is like, think about you getting glacier water fish. The rivers in Punjab were, uh, were lucky. It's like probably the most fertile land in India. You can grow anything. Literally name anything, it'd be grown in Punjab. So the fish, river fish, that also. Like not just any fish, river fish. And we were only allowed to eat fish in winters because there's no way in the scorching heat in summer they can keep that because the refrigeration was not to the point. So you, we were looking for December and January. And though consider myself born in a family where my mom's, she's vegetarian, which majority Indian families, if you have one person vegetarian, it's so hard to bring meats or poultry or fish to your house. You have to go out. <laughs> you get catapulted to scallops, which like I didn't even have until I was 30 in the United States. No, I had it. And uh, another story was when I had scallops for the first time, when the entire other folks, they come to know it's, it's seafood, nobody touches it because they don't know what it was. And I was like, so happy. And I'm like, oh, I like slowly... <laughs> I finished it all. So another thing what I did was then I was like food again plays big role in my life. I was saving my pocket money and I was known in my school that I used to, I was luckily good in maths and English. So I used to charge my classmates like say 25 cents. I can do your homework. You have a math issue <laughs> because I need to eat. I hate cafeteria food all my life. So I used to get out of school and eat the food from street vendors, like street food. And even when you go out, I was not muscular. I was not physically that big. I was like little. And so when you have seniors in front of you and all those, so I used to tell the muscular, the biggest guy, I used to buy his food also. <laughs> so I had to do more homework. But then I saved that money for like three months. And I went to Delhi again without telling anyone. There used to be Shatabdi going at 5 a.m. from Jalandhar and coming back in the night. I just went, eat scallop, came back. <laughs> I, and so 14 was an age of revelation for you, but also as you explained to me, it's an age of tragedy and a coming of age because you, shortly after this, you lost your father. Yes, I lost and my father. One of the interesting things is you say you, you were saving this money for you know Punjabi Dabas and street vendors and trips, bus trips to Mm. the Taj Mahal and other places. But um, you also said that you didn't have the 600 rupees, about the $8, $8 a month for your math tuition at that point when your mother was widowed. Yes, so my parents were teachers and uh, we were very average middle-class family. My dad gave us everything. Like I think 
if you're happy, you're, you got everything. Your basic is money comes to you at one point. My parents struggle a lot. The good part they had was their education. They studied, they had education. And even in your first question, which I skipped it, uh, they always tell me that you have to do, if you really want to do good in your life, you have to study. Make sure you work hard and study. If you don't study, you have to do labor class job. And I had no option but to study. Like they give me no option that, okay, you'll be earning 50 bucks a day or you want to do something better in life. That was the thing that you want to do great in school. But the moment I was finishing my high school and uh, I lost my dad. It was a tragic moment because he was really instrumental. We were all looking forward for him. And that was the time because in India, those days you joined a cup. Like you talk about, sorry, I'm getting emotional. Uh, those uh, joint accounts was not the thing. So the money was not transferring. So there was a point that like every parent in India, if you're born in India, every parent as Dr. Shah's here, she's very well aware that every Indian parent's dream is that your kid has to be a doctor. <laughs> Nowadays, they accept software engineers and all that. You know? <laughs> Yeah, but... Uh, Even in Iran, my parents haven't talked to me for 20 years, but anyway. Oh, <laughs> believe me. Full disclosure, we are live at the Robin School with my guest, Chef Sunny Baveja, the James Beard recognized chef of Leheja in Short Pump, Virginia. Uh, chef Sunny, um, that kind of crucible where you couldn't afford your physics class, your tutoring class, you told me also that the professor said, keep coming. But I want, and I think a lot of people would find this interesting. How did you end up as general manager of one of the largest theme parks in India. So when I went to school and I tried to go for medical and in India, you have to decide in 10th grade if you want to be a doctor. You can't decide like us, you don't have luxury because you're pre-medical test and everything. So you have to have your 11th and 12th grade as your biophysics and chemistry as your majors to proceed after your 12th grade, their pre-medical test happens. So you have to decide at very early age. You don't have any luxury. You can't decide in your undergrad, oh, I want to be a doctor. No, nope. time's too late, you're done. So you have to decide. So I learned at a very early age that I'm not meant for this. And that tragedy, and then, but my professors, I think one thing in my life is all you guys here, uh, most of you know me very personally, uh, Robin. So. I'm lucky to have great people around me, great souls around me. My professors were so kind. My physics professor, I still remember his name after all those many years, Professor Atul. And he said, don't worry. It was 600 rupees those days. I couldn't afford it. So I said, I can't come to the class. Like, and he said, don't worry about money. You are going to continue. Forget about the money. You're coming. Because I was not focusing. And I was good in physics. I was good in physics and I was good in organic chemistry. Bio was tough for me. I couldn't do it. So next year I tell my mom, I said, I can't do medical. I'm not meant for this. I switched on to non-medical, like took bio out and have maths. And I still realized, no, I'm not meant for this too. Then I went on to business eventually. And then once I was doing my business, I finished my undergrad in two years, not even two years, one and a half year. Long story short, how it happened because I love business. I love management side of it, love all the, so I did. And during that time, my mom was working super hard to have us great education. I got, me and my brother used to read English newspapers. And since we were in that part of the country, we were investing too, believe me, at that age. And uh, so 
we have to make a trunk call and somebody calls. And then once we come to know the stock prices, it's probably the last day. So, Two day old stock prices. Right? So we get economic times from Delhi, which was, we used to get yesterday's newspaper. Midday from Bombay was coming after two days. To analyze that, we used to invest in stocks and we did lost money, but then we did made it too. Then I feel like I need to work at the same time since I'm doing my studies, as Robin was mentioning this park, there was a job opened up in Times of India, I noticed. It says they need a marketing executive. And they were offering those days 6,000 rupees. And that was big. Being a student, 6,000 rupees, I said, okay, I will apply. And since you know I'm good in talking, so they were like talking to me. This was for Wonderland? Wonderland Park. What was Wonderland? Tell us. So Wonderland is think Bush Gardens of India, if you see. It's, uh, it's exactly like Bush Gardens. And when I joined, I just want to get out that you want a job. So the moment I had an interview with the HR, they were like, you are this, okay, you're doing uh, your business major and your job has to do this and that, like simpler stuff because you have so many other people around you. And uh, that managing director interviewed me and they hired me right away. I won hours my way and they hired because you are still doing school and after that you have to go there. And uh, long story short, I did some changes. In India, if you are wearing a blazer, most of the people will understand you're a manager. They don't know who you are. So especially in a park like Bush Garden, think about. So when I joined, most of the people was thinking I'm the manager. So I was acting like that also. <laughs> so it happens while acting those. How many people did you manage? Uh, eventually, after six months, I was actually the GM of the park. <laughs> so I had about... Uh, about 50 people who was ahead of me, who was senior manager. But after six months, they made me the GM. And so I was the boss for 2,000 people after six months. So you told me that you were gravitationally pulled to the kitchen, which I'm not thinking, you know, fine dining or anything in the kitchen, but having the taste of the scallops, the recollection of your mother's cooking simplicity, being a country boy, and now, what was it like ratatouille? You would go to the kitchen and experiment? At that time, yes, definitely. I changed myself because I was traveling a lot. And uh, while traveling, you miss, the first thing you miss is your mom's food. And I used to eat out a lot, but still you miss that food. While missing that food, I start practicing, I start doing this. And while I was in the park also, and I was finishing at the same time, my business major also, I was doing my MBA at the same time. And uh, so a lot of things at the same time going on. So I was traveling. I was also secretary for Indian Amusement Park Association. Secretary for the Indian Amusement Park Association. <laughs> mm -hmm. All right. uh, where the biggest Indian park is Asil World, which is like Disney for India. Like as Disney is owned by say NBC's, like all that. Asil World is owned by ZTV, one of the bigger Indian TV networks. So their ads are on every Indian national TV always. So people look into that and come to your local park. But the things we changed was I make sure in my like, that you make it the cleanest, the family-oriented park in India. But my whole idea was, because when you go to Bush Gardens or any park, you don't think about food. Food was my love. I want to make sure the rides are safer. I bring water park and the safest water park in India. That was in Wonderland. I launched that also during my tenure. And I was the first one to do one ticket in India. There was always like when you enter, you pay 20 bucks and then every ride you have to pay separate. I was the first one to do one ticket at one price, nothing to pay inside.
you can take unlimited this and that. So let me pause this. You were in some sense, I imagine someone like a Indian conglomerate, a Tata or something showing up at some point, and especially with India's trajectory of this booming emerging market over the last 30 years, and it's on track to become maybe the largest population on the planet, you could well have ended up as a, I'm thinking about the show Succession, as a part of a conglomerate, you are the theme parts executive. You told me that you were a showrunner, you were bringing music acts on, you were making more than your whole family combined, your mother was pressuring you to get married. But it's interesting how fate works out. You have this comfortable job and in 2003, I believe, you are married finally and you get a call to come and visit Virginia. Tell me about this. So while I was in the park, I was traveling for the food a lot. I traveled entire India, apart from six states. I visited every single state in India because of food. So most regions, traveling, coming back, traveling, coming back. And for the food, I traveled a lot. And that's all when I learned that I actually love cooking. But in India, when you say, okay, who you are, you're a business major. And what do you want to do? You want to be a cook. And especially in my state, you can't even say that. You want to be a cook means that you are a elementary school graduate, not even you're a middle schooler. Okay, you can be a chef. But otherwise, you can't even tell you want to be a chef. You would not deign come down. They say they were calling you Sir Sonny. And it, was, it would be unseemly for you to be in the kitchen. So yes, everybody used to call me Sir Sunny. Or, uh, and I used to also, apart from that, I was also writing for a newspaper. I was head for Times of India's uh, Punjab division, uh, doing tons of other things and cooking. So well, I, you were also head for Times of India's Punjab division? Yes. You I, did what, you side gig this? Just side gig. <laughs> I, had a, I had two hours left in my day. <laughs> and your mom wants you to get married? Yes. So I applied and I don't know what they saw in me. And I said, I can only give eight to 10 in the morning. They hired me. So, <laughs> and they changed the head office for me. It used to be Chandigarh. And they said, because of you, you can operate from Jalandhar. Uh, so uh, that happened too. And then, but the- So the talented Mr. Sunny. Uh, I don't know about that. <laughs> so I want to know with all this, how do you pull yourself away from it? I know you were deeply in love with your wife and it's the, let's say roughly the turn of the century. You come here for what, a, what's a few weeks you thought you were gonna visit Virginia? So when we get married, like imagine if you can correlate, if you're from Indian subcontinent, your mom can put pressures on you for getting married. That's the very first thing, or that's all they dream for when you're getting married. There's no other talks in your home is when you're getting married, that's all. <laughs> and I had a clear thing in my mind that forget about it. I'm not even talk about marriage, but since I, my mom has done a lot for us uh, since we lost my dad very early, so, all those things were going on and uh, I love my wife uh, and because of my mom's pressure, we got married, imagine, quickly, way quickly than we thought. It's like you can call it emotionally blackmailing and all those things. Um, so in that pressure, peer pressure, when I visited Virginia for the first time. 2003. Yep. Mm -hmm, and uh, uh, there was no plan to stay. No Where plan in Virginia to stay. did you visit? Uh, I landed up in D.C. first. In fact, since I love food, my very first thing was we landed up and we went to this restaurant in Arlington. I said like, let's go eat, <laughs> like after landing from India. <laughs> so I went to Arlington to a restaurant. My uncle used to live in, uh, right in uh, uh, Arlington, uh, sorry, what was that? Uh, in Northern Virginia. Northern Virginia, uh, like, uh, he was on Seminary Road. I used to have his address too. It's uh, almost forget about that. Then he moved to Columbia Pike, Alexandria. 
Why I forget it? So we stayed with him for a couple of days and then I moved to uh, Hampton Roads and then came here. We were like staying, visiting family, this and that, like my family who was here and my wife's side. We were visiting. Going. But the intention in Hampton Roads was just to visit family. Just to visit family because I was so busy, busy to the point that when I was here, my phone was ringing every second. In India, I used to have four cell phones, one for the family, one for my one business. I was managing newspaper, second phone, and fourth for my friends only. <laughs> it's like they can text you. And uh, so I was busy and I tell them, okay, I'll be back soon. Like imagine, because in India, I had a big plan to open up 10 nursing colleges. <laughs> nursing colleges. <sighs> Believe me, I don't know what I was doing. Um, <laughs> I had every single politician in my home state behind me. doesn't matter you are which party, bureaucrats, uh, money guys, they say, we need you. What you want to do, we are with you. So that was the ultimate plan that they want to do. Because many people from that part where I was born want to go out of country for a better life. And uh, nursing was one department when they were saying, like many people want to go, like especially in Canada, they need many people in nursing, Australia. So they say, you can go at a good path if you have good connections. So that was the first, and this was, I'm very into my early 20s. I'm not like talking about that I was, as I was meeting good people, but then uh, there was incidents happen. And uh, I had a good friend, his cousin, we lost him in an accident and nobody picked him from the road. He was, and the doctor tell, doctor mentioned that if he would have picked up like even 20 minutes early, he would have been saved. So no one picked him from the road, like no 911, nothing. That was one of the big reasons, I would say, that was one thing which was also decisive, that I was double-minded. That I had a huge future in India. I was making, as I mentioned to you, I was making probably 20 times more my whole family was making money in India. Respect, I go to anywhere in the state, people knows me uh, to that level, that early. But that was one of the decisive factors that uh, when I came, I realized, uh, apart from the money, your healthcare, your other things were very good in terms that, okay, if something happened, and I, it happens to me the very first day we were in a LinkedIn, there was an accident happened and the ambulance came right away and picked it up. I think those things were somehow back of your mind, which also played a big role in deciding. But I was still unsure. I was not sure at that point. Full disclosure, please do stay with us. Full Disclosure Podcast to NPR, Spotify, all fine podcatchers, including and especially Apple Podcasts, the link, please subscribe, is fullderadio.com. Again, fullderadio.com. We are on all the social medias at handle fullderadio. You can catch us on the University of Richmond's Robin School website for upcoming news about big live shows. NPR's Steve Inskeep on October 25th. Rashida Jones, actually a Richmonder, president of MSNBC, coming back in a homecoming in November. And then Secretary Pete Buttigieg at Maudlin at the University of Richmond in December. All events are free and sponsored, and we encourage you to sign up early and often. Full disclosure, please stay with us. If you are just joining us, my guest is Chef Sunny Baveja, James Beard recognized star chef of Leheja twice. To think of the fast forward from 2003, coming to Virginia and thinking about ambulances and the rule of law and various other things and the family tragedy that happened to, you had a brother-in-law here in the Tidewater area who had a struggling restaurant. It wasn't a struggling restaurant, I would say. There was some other uh, reasons, which I can't, even if it's a full disclosure, I can't disclose. Uh, 
So the, half, half disclosure. Yeah, half disclosures. Uh, he's a great part of my life. And I would say if I'm staying in the country, he's a big reason for that. So there was something going on with him. And I literally have to stay during that phase. It's like your, uh, your morality. You say, no, I can't. I can't do this. I can't. So during that phase, I was, he warns me because he has seen me managing all those places. In fact, very first time when I met him, it took him days to get an appointment with me in India. Yeah. So I see him, what he's going through. And he said, he's an amazing person. But when I see what's going on, so I decided to, uh, okay, do this temporarily. Uh, so I start going to all his places. And I still remember the very first thing I tell him is to change himself about certain things he need to before he changes the restaurants or staff to change him. And then I literally, I said, okay, you know what? I'm very good at managing people. I have managed a staff, I'm doing this and that, but I haven't, means I want to be behind the scene, you want to cook. But I said, okay, I need to base in one restaurant and see how it goes. So Williamsburg, and there's many folks who knows me from Williamsburg, they're great friends now, so Williamsburg became kind of home at that point. And I start cooking. And with him, many chefs were with him for 15 years, 10 years, 18 years. And you tell them this recipe doesn't, is not like this. This has to be like this. Because I was right fresh from India. I was like, this doesn't work. This is not this. So they're like, why don't you cook? Imagine. I said, okay, I'll do it. So because that's what you wanted. So I was showing them. And luckily, that phase was there. And everything falling into the right place. And you still in the back of your mind though thought you would be rolling over. You'd be here six months, nine months. Oh yeah. The, the pull was still to go back to India where you had earnings and a future. The India emerging market story is really big at this time. You have the stock market is roaring. People are talking about the BRICS at this time, Brazil, Russia, India, and China. You as a stock market investor, your phone is literally ringing off the, the hook. And yet you keep extending your stay in Virginia. I, I did it because I was still unsure. Because when you, it's so hard for you when you, that in such a short period of your life, you have seen all the success in India in such a quick period. And not only success, that uh, it's so hard. At that point, you were in limelight. Just think about it. It was hard because when you see that you have a great future already in India, like this is going on and you are doing double-minded. What to do? What to do? Like this is going on. And I have a different phase, different path. Uh, so I was, I was, to be honest, very first year, I was very confused. I couldn't make up my mind in the very first year. Now, when was the first time you visited Richmond? I understand you went on this vision quest. You said you went to 10 states um, in your first month here. First? North Carolina, Georgia, New Orleans. You took a cruise during Katrina? Right before. <laughs> Right Can't before uh, Katrina hit, I was actually in New York. Sounds like a Forrest Gump-like resume here. <laughs> you know, I love traveling. I, I have learned one thing, that work hard. And I realized my parents, like my mom and dad, they did everything for us, but they never traveled. They traveled, they did, they were working for us. And like, I think most of the parents, and especially if you're an Indian subcontinent, you live for your kids and you want them to have a better life. But I said, you know what? I want to do both. I want to live also, I want our kids a better life too. And you want to give them everything, but you want them to work hard as well. Uh, you don't want to, in Indian culture, it's very easy. If you're rich, uh, you give your kids a golden plate already and it's up to them that they will, which route they're gonna go, you don't know. So if they work hard, 
I think they know the difference between right and wrong. So I want to dish some of the beans on this. Some of the serendipity that happens. You didn't really know wine in there, but you're working with your brother-in-law. You guys are tight. You said he was like a brother to you. And meanwhile, in Williamsburg, a lot of Capital One people would visit touting Richmond. And you are, you are of the mind that it can't just be chicken tikka masala. You know, it's like the national dish of the UK. Uh -huh. And you're passionate about this and you've, you've traveled and you've studied and you had all these recipes and these notes in the back of your mind. Uh, Richmond, 2007, you nearly signed the lease. Yeah, nearly. On the eve of the biggest financial crisis of our lifetime. Yep. So as you said, traveling, I was traveling a lot. Even as you mentioned, in the first two months I traveled I don't know how many states. I was in first two months of my stay in the US. You can take me anywhere in Virginia, North Carolina. I don't need a GPS. I'll tell you where to go, what to do, because I love traveling. And I said, I need to see this place. I love mountains, I love beaches. It's always sunny in Winston-Salem. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah, so I loved all that in that way. Um, but wine was something when I, and, and I don't want to name uh, this again because of even its full disclosure. I cooked for some very reputable people, like to the level, like as some people I cooked for, and they were so happy with the cooking that we haven't ex experienced Indian food this way. Because those days, uh, so <coughs> many people were coming to Hampton Roads because of Jamestown celebration supposed to be coming, Queen supposed to be like all that people. So I cooked for so many prestigious people. But one thing, one time, there was a person, he told me, your food is amazing. You cook, I haven't had Indian food this way. But we paired the wine, which no one talks to me. He said, the wine you paired, that was the worst pairing of my life. <laughs> and I didn't know that. I have no idea about the wine. You gave me anything, I have zero idea. And I literally, then start, I talked to myself, I said, you know what, I need to learn. I read the wine Bible in three months. I was tasting, first month I was pouring water in every single glass available in the bar and tasting water, where it's going in. And it took me about a year that I, I can talk about the wine. You ask me any question, I'll answer you. But I couldn't taste. Uh, because I was trying to be, I was pretending to be a French or American at that point. I don't know what blackcurrant tastes like and every single thing tells you blackcurrant and I said, what is this? I didn't know about that. So, but then I talked to myself one day, I said, you can be good in food, but you're not good in wines. So I literally took a glass of wine, sat down the bar, end of the shift and start drinking. And I closed my eyes because now I was not thinking much. At that point, the wine notes were coming to me. It was like leather, oh, this is chocolate, cocoa coming all those like coffee. And I said, wow, this is, when I used to go to college, I have to cross a leather market. And they were roasting the beans on one end. And I said, this is exactly that. If I'm crossing, it's like your childhood memories. And I said, this is a cab. And, when I, and I didn't know what I poured. I went back and it was a cab. And I said, wow, you're getting it now. <laughs> so that's how it started. So then I start closing my eyes for first few months and tasting the wines. and try to see where it's taking me back home to my memories. Like you have done berries in the villages, you have everything, but I try to correlate with that and slowly, gradually, it starts coming. You open Leja April 2010. We're coming out of the financial crisis, but it's still tight. And there are people warning you that uh, not enough disposable income to eat out, 
The country seems divided. It opened at six o'clock, and I understand the first review from Style Weekly. Uh, it says you're worth a drive, but it's in a mall. I'm sorry, and I've always asked you, I said, what is it about short pump? And it was a big, it's a big space. You have to write an enormous check. You have fine furniture in there. It must have been a little scary for you. You know what, when you trust your gut, when you have a gut feeling that you're gonna do this, you just, I never thought twice. If I decided to do something, I'll do it. So only time we stop is, I want to do a restaurant which represents me, what I want to do, what I learned, uh, the cooking during travels of India. And I said, not many people were doing in the US those days. And I said, I want to do those things my way. And then I'll be my own boss. I don't have to do a recipe. Even I was working with my brother-in-law those time, we had multiple restaurants, but I have to follow certain protocols because he has multiple restaurants with the same menu. So I was still executive group executive chef, group GM, all those later on, but I can still do enough. So when Leja happened, we were trying to do, but then recession, and we went on because I know I, this is my dream project and I want to put my heart and soul and want to open up. Okay. Did you, did you have investors? Did you sell fun? No, my brother-in-law want to be part of this. So I initially want to go alone, but then as I mentioned to you, I treat him as my older brother and a great friend at the same time. So he's my business partner in that. So we didn't uh, go for the banking route, whatever money I have saved back or here in stock market. Luckily, I didn't lose any money during a recession those days. I was a good, smart investor, <laughs> so. Well, I ask, I ask people this all the time. I mean, we've had uh, various restaurant people on the show, Brittany Anderson, we've had Chef Peter Chang on uh, years ago at the Hippodrome. It's clearly a passion project, but it's also a sink for people. Notoriously, many of these don't survive five years. And little inside the weeds, but you know, investors can look at say $10,000 in a T-bill, $10,000 in a bank account in the S&P 500. What is your comparison for this, having been an investor, but also giving the premium to a passion, a dream? So, as you say, definitely it's a passion project. Anyone who knows me, I could have easily, there were so many people who told me to invest like 1.4 million during recession in a restaurant was not a fun game. Where Indian restaurant used to easily be open for $300,000 those days. And though in a location where your rent can be crazy high. So it was definitely a passion project. I don't wanna cut corners, I want to be the best. I want to do this, uh, have one of the amazing wine cellars and all those things. But again, in an investment point of view, you have a pressure. And I still remember, because my brother-in-law, he's still a businessman too. He tell me one thing, because when we opened, we were definitely, the recession was affecting. Your business folks were not spending as much. And uh, we are, I normally don't even tell anyone, we are a farm to table restaurant. Because that's to me, you need not to tell the whole world it's who I am. That you are farm to table. Anyway. Yes, means it's, I, it's by default. It has to be, every restaurant has to be by default. To me, you need not to scream about that. You have to be farm to table to just put good food, all that. And so to me, the cost factor when you do all those things definitely goes a little more. And we were not doing, we didn't make any money in the first year. And I still remember I had a BMW and I sold that. So three months I had no car also. But I was okay because I believe in the project. And I still remember my brother-in-law saying, Sonny, you have to look into the financial part also because if this restaurant fails, it's you, it's not the restaurant. So you have a financial burden at the back of, of the mind for any chef. But I believe in the product. I said, this is the time. I can't cut corners on food. 
Yeah, the only thing we can do is definitely do even better service, focus more on quality, uh, place has to be... Well, what was the tipping point? Which review? I mean, at some point, everybody, uh, this thing is it, or Peter Chang is here, or Peter Chang is in the New Yorker, or someone is, is this, this is the it restaurant, and you were your own kind of orbit in Short Pump. Again, I'm thinking the Apple Store, Trader Joe's, and uh, yeah, the world's second largest Arby's. Go ahead. I think... <laughs> I think the, the, the first two reviews which we got it uh, were the Richmond Times-Dispatch. It was a confused review, if I have to reveal it now. We don't know what the critic want to say at that point in the review, we don't know. Because she hasn't experienced that food with that level ever. Because they had very basic things like you got chicken tikka masala and other things. Was part of you worried that you were wasting this on Richmond? I mean, imagine how it would have been received in Houston or New York with big You'd be, kind of cosmopolitan Indian population. When I was opening the restaurant and I had approached the Indian food those days were not where we are now. There were so many locations. I traveled Chicago. I've been to even Chapel Hill was one of the locations I was thinking of initially. Even D.C. and uh, to the point even Ohio and Columbus. I visited so many places. And because I knew even if I opened up in a big city, people will love it. It's easy to get the mass. And, but then somehow I was visiting Richmond a lot and I fall in love with the city. So I talked to my wife, I still remember. I talked to her, I said, you know what? We might not be able to make as much money in Richmond, but we'll be happy. We'll make more friends. And if we have to grow the family here, we will have kids eventually, imagine all that. I said, I'll be able to spend time with them. If I'd be in any big city, I'd probably be not able to do that. And I'm so glad I picked Richmond for that purpose. Full disclosure, please stay with us. Full Disclosure Podcast to NPR, Spotify, and of course, Apple Podcasts. The link is fullderadio.com. You can follow on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn at handle Full D Radio. And a shout out to our listeners on WVTF Radio IQ. Virginia's NPR news station. You can DM me to carry full disclosure on your air. I want you to fast forward to 2019 on the eve of something we didn't know happening. I mean, I had a, a rock series going on in Shaco. It was a wonderful Christmas and none of us knew that this global calamity is coming from across the pond. You were in 2019 named uh, James Beard semifinalist, best chef mid-Atlantic. And again in 2020. And trust when you can most parlay it, the world effectively stops in March of 2020. This has been a through line for the show. I see Michael Sparks from Underground Kitchen is here. And um, I'm not going to embarrass you, but one thing that ties people together is you both immediately said, look, if this is shut down and I got staff and I got to keep moving or I'm going to die, why don't I help critical workers or responders or healthcare people? So I'm a very positive person. I don't take things negatively at all. Even if I'm surrounding with negative people, I try to get out of there and take them out of my life. I just want positivity. I don't want any negativity in my life. Uh, that's all I am. And uh, I'm very straightforward. People who knows me, they know I'm very straightforward. I love everybody, but then I want positivity in my life. If you are friend, you are truly friend. I won't say it. So during that time, and our restaurant, we got, we were, we were lucky, we were very busy, but reservation doesn't happen as happened in local restaurant. You can still expect 100 people every day without a reservation. It's very common. And that was the first time in my life, in my career, when I was managing restaurant back in India or group or here, that we were almost 70% booked till May in March because we had James Beer recognition. There was Forbes, Esquire, multiple things came in two weeks. Like so many media, like national media mentioned about us and our books were flooded. 
I have never seen it. And we were like, wow, this is gonna be our best year ever. 2020. 2020. And even the day we decided to close it, I still remember we did 132 covers. And when everybody did like 20, when I talked to the other restaurant, they were like, we did 20 people today, 30, because it happened like all of a sudden. It's like two days and like, what's going on? And like that Saturday, we were like 132 covers and we had like 350 reservations. And we, yeah, we did 132, which we were like, what's going on? But going next day, we realized, man, what has happened? And we, uh, we were one of the first uh, restaurants, I think first or two, second restaurant who voluntarily decided to close it and uh, see what's going on. And then those negativity was coming to your mind because I want to be busy. I want to cook food. I want to do all those things. And it was never uh, going on. You were like almost shut down to the pace that you're like still. And what's next? So I decided like our first responder, our healthcare workers been working super hard. So I tell my kitchen, I said, you know what? We were financially good. If something happened, we can easily sustain three, four months. So I said, you know what? At this point, we should do our part. So I decided to cook for anyone who's first responder on healthcare. We decided two days that we're gonna do free food for any number of people. Just call us, any hospital you are at, just call us. If we be able to deliver it, we will deliver, otherwise you pick it up. So we, we did it and we got busy doing that. And we never thought what's going on for the first actually two weeks. So that was the very first thing I decided immediately that we're gonna do this. This is what we can do. But then at night, so you're with your wife and family, you're not, I mean, these are existential solvency issues. Are people ever gonna come back to indoor dining? We're still dealing, you know, three and a half years, almost four years after this with the, or a follow-on effect. Starbucks moved to drive-through, dining rooms are dying. The mall itself had a near-death experience, the shiny mall. And a lot of businesses, the Cheesecake Factory near you contorted to do, you know, DoorDash cheesecake delivery saved that business in the worst of the pandemic. What were the other considerations? I mean, you know, we've had FOMO and we've come back now and we're somewhat normal, God willing, without the variants, but this was a near-death experience for everyone. You know, if someone knows me very clearly, I don't think too much. And I don't think too far in advance because I feel if I think way too much and I fear too far, some things are not in your control. And that was one, one of those things which none of us has ever predicted. And it was in none of our controls. So the only thing we could have done it is just do our part. Like our doctors, our all those healthcare people, all the people as first responders, we can do something. And then I talked to my team, you know what? I don't know, this is this probably go on for three months. That was my analysis in the beginning. So I said, this might happen for three months. And I said, you know what, what we can do? I don't want to lay off any staff or furlough any staff. Let's reach out to the neighborhoods. So we were, if I remember, we might be the very first Richmond restaurant who start approaching the neighborhoods that, hey, we will come to you. Yeah, hold on. I remember on Insta, um, when we're all at home kind of losing our minds, that you very smartly did a batch processing thing. Hey, uh, Twin Hickory, we're coming to you. Hey, West Ham, West End, we're coming to you. And you kind of made it, we're, but by the way, this is, this is in the worst of it when we're slathering Kroger bags with Purell that nobody could get, <laughs> like shampooing with Purell. You would show up and tell me about the reaction. Again, because Innsbruck and the areas that are near you were completely cored out and are even at half capacity right now. So, uh, as I tell you, that's me. So we start reaching out and community's been so nice. And I think these are the moments when you realize why you're in Richmond and why 
you love people and communities stand out for each other. Uh, there were people approaching me, hey, if you want to deliver this, you want to do this. And later on, I figured it out somebody is a cardio surgeon who was actually making calls to the homes. Somebody's uh, orthodontist, somebody is like oncologist, somebody is a cardio surgeon. They were actually plastic surgeon. These are the guy who was actually handing their community orders for me. And I like, you just feel so lucky and so blessed. We were so lucky that we were literally booked for months in neighborhood deliveries. We were going anywhere 50 miles in Richmond radius. We were doing the days. We were that overwhelmed that we have to literally, because the system, it was pressurizing because we were only doing one third party delivery and that also very limited time. Like imagine if I have to cut off that from six to nine or only doing certain hours and then you're thinking of third party, you're doing online ordering and we were not like that. We were still the other way and you have to still call us for the order and or at our uh, on email and I was combining awake till 12 to one every day, wake up at six every day. It was definitely pressurizing and managing the kitchen Again, you make sure everything is sustainable. Like I really believe in sustainability and all biodegradable products. It was hard to get those things eventually that how to do it. And experience wise, if you order this food, how after three hours this food will be, are you eating after four hours? Will this food reheat good? Or so all those things were going on. And I think I worked hard in my life, but I think that time, I don't think so. I have ever worked hard ever as much because I was cooking. I was in the kitchen at 6 a.m. and I was processing the orders. You're back, in, out. And at the same time, you want your team to be happy. You want them to be mentally happy that don't worry, we're not going anywhere. You are, your families are safe. You don't worry about the food and just don't think too much. I think in a few minutes we have left, I don't think how many people realize how low margin the restaurant business is. I think the cost of goods sold and the way you source things a default, as you said, farm to table, you like to have biodegradable products for carry out and for everything else that you do. Uh, we have just experienced and we're still experiencing inflation, the likes of which we haven't seen generationally here. And labor, labor with a 3.5% headline unemployment rate, it's been vexingly difficult. We have restaurant people in the audience here getting people to show up. The, the old minimum wage is bunk now, whatever it is. I mean, it's now de facto $15, $20. And then people with tipflation and everything else. How have you managed through the sticker shock and the pass-through in a low-margin business? You know, every restaurant, anybody who's in the restaurant industry, you know, profit margins are definitely, when you look into all those, it's, you're not even counting 10% after doing all those things. So you have to really, you have to manage the things accordingly. And if you're busy, you're super lucky. And in my case, I was very lucky that we stayed busy in pandemic. Uh, the support was phenomenal. And even after that, I have great staff. I'm very, very blessed to have amazing group of staff around me. Those are like family. Many of them are working with me since we opened the doors. And uh, some people are with me for almost 15 years or so. And they made me look good. And uh, I think when you have that thing, as I tell you, I used to think about money into my early 2022, but then I forgot it. I said, okay, food makes me happy. This became the limelight. And when you do right things, everything else follows. Chef Sunny, 
I guess we wanna, you know, we, we, we call this part of the show historically like open skate, actually. You probably didn't go to a skating rink, but I grew up with this and there was one point where they say only couples on, right? <laughs> so this is the part where you turn it around and you tell us kind of closing thoughts. It might be a note to your earliest self. It might be maybe tipping us off, not inside information necessarily. I have no doubt that investors are banging on your door whenever they read about you in Forbes or Arlington Magazine or the Washington Post. Again, no shortage of people have named you one of the best Indian restaurants in the country. And you are less than two decades into this experience. What is your advice going out into the, the, the great beyond, the great hereafter and even in the past? I think when you do right things, everything follows. That's my motto in mind. Just be honest with your people, do the right thing. If you think this is good for you, do it for others. If I can't eat something, I can't do it for me and my family, don't do it. And then everything follows. And as you said, yeah, that's true. I literally been contacted by big, big houses to go national. Anything I want to do, they are behind me for many years now. I think I'm taking some time because I want to spend time with my younger one, my older one's just starting. He just started college and he graduated two years early from high school. So all those things I was not ready and it's like already going on. But I just feel do the right thing, follow your passion. And if you follow your passion, do the right thing, everything else will come to you. Also scallops, scallops. <laughs> Chef Sunny Baweja. Full disclosure, so many thanks to Dish Out. Props first to producers Claire Morgan, Kim Zaninovich, Case Graham, heck, the entire Morgan clan is here. I think I'm violating child labor laws. Andy Miner at the Robbins School, an angel, a, a military brat. I call her Major Miner because she's like the house whip when it comes to this. I can't do any of this without her. She's a star. Tom Adonisio, Courtney Ennis, Mina Zatelli, Marjorie Bannister, Brian Gallagher, and Telecom. We are missing the patron saint of full disclosure at Robbins, Dean Miguel Quinones. He's taking his students to Wall Street. I, I would like to think of him as Santo Miguel de West Hampton. Um, but Doug Bossy and Nancy Bagranoff are here, and uh, as you see them outside, they're gonna dote on me, so please uh, look for them. This show would not have happened without the generous support of both the University of Richmond's Robbins School and the university and our sponsor, Solomon Ludwin. Dalal, Beth, Dan, you rock. For those of you listening at home, you're about to miss amazing food. For everyone else here, here comes the sun. Doo -doo -doo. <laughs> Back with you next week. <laughs> <laughs>